court here on city manager James Freed accused the Michigan Occupational Safety and Health Administration of fining the city over, quote, a general feeling, end quote, that the city was skirting COVID-19 requirements. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to Michigan in Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thanks, Cole, and welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Managing Editor for The Center Square, a nonpartisan news site. Michigan in Focus is brought to you by America's Talking Network. If you're tired of the divisive rhetoric coming from echo chambers in our country today, America's Talking Network has been made for you. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find news, civil conversations, and all of the Center Square podcast. The only agenda that America's Talking Network has is to get America talking again. Go to americastalking.com to check out all of their podcasts. Once again, that's americastalking.com. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, February 17th, and joining today is Scott McCowan, the Center Square's Michigan correspondent. Hello, Scott. Hey, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Hey, you bet. And listen, um, before we kick everything off, uh, I want to dig a little bit into the personal details of your life, because I know it's fascinating and exciting that when you're not running around Lansing reporting on everything that is happening in the state legislature and the governor's mansion, you are you you're you actually write books and you have a, a new book out, as I understand. And um, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious because I've already downloaded a copy. And uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about it, please? Yeah. So I published Twisted Tech in December of 2021. Uh, the book explores the intersection of free speech, privacy and the Internet. And uh, it basically the book explores on uh, explores how our data is used by government and private companies. Wow, fantastic! And and I understand that uh, you're actually at least for a time there you were the number one new tech book on Amazon.com. For uh for for at one point yes it's it's pretty brutal but uh, I'm I've still been in the top hundred in the past week or so. Well, congratulations! That's that's fantastic. I'm I'm, Thank you. I'm happy for you and. Uh, Proud to know you. So let's uh, start off with a, a story that you published today, Thursday, February 17th. And the House Oversight Committee, which is chaired by Steve Johnson, representative from Wayland. And you talk, they talk quite a bit about some, well, it could be interpreted as nefarious activity. So um, I'll, I'll give you the chair here. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a little bit of background information. So Port Huron City Manager James Freed accused the Michigan Occupational Safety and Health Administration of fining the city $6,300 over, quote, a general feeling, end quote, that the city was skirting COVID-19 requirements. Okay, so it's uh, he's tearing a book, a page out of the book of Boston by saying he's got more than a feeling. And what exactly is it that he is finding them six thousand three hundred dollars for? 
it's unclear because there was no itemized complaint given, uh, but but uh, Freed was accused of walking around without a mask on. Uh, now we have to remember this happened in early 2020, uh, so there wasn't a vaccine yet, and the COVID rules were much different. But uh, Myosha got an anonymous complaint that the city was not following COVID rules. Okay. And according to your story, Port Huron paid between $15,000 and $20,000 to fight the Myosha fine. So they spent considerably more than what the fine actually was. Yeah, James uh, Freed. Go ahead. City manager James Freed said that they didn't want to, you know, he at one point they could have paid $3,000 and admitted guilt and they would have been fine. Uh, but... He, James Freed, did not want to pay a fine, admit guilty to something he does not believe that the city did wrong. Okay. So, but the reason this went to the House Oversight Committee is, you know, you dig a little bit deeper and things get just a little bit trickier. So, uh, give us a little bit of the listeners, a little bit happened with uh, the reports. So the city was, an, so Pure, Port Huron was initially fined $6,300. City man, manager James Freed appealed that within Myosha and lost. So then he appealed again outside of Myosha through the administrative law procedures. Uh, but by that time, Myosha inspector Matthew Hartman, who is the original person who fined the city, had already apparently uh, deleted emails with his superiors and burned his initial documents. He burned the initial documents. So he burned his notes. Yes. How, how does that happen? Uh, Myosha initially defended him. Uh, the agency said that he was just following protocol, uh, but James Freed uh, challenged that. He said that uh, agency retention laws uh, recommend saving documents for uh, about five years, I believe. But to actually burn the notes, I mean, on an ongoing case, I mean, it was still an appeal. So, uh, but, yeah. but, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you and say the standard procedure is in state government when you are done with any type of casework you actually physically burn the the documents that's that's the question yeah got a lot of questions for myosha i reached out to them for a statement on this hearing the agency referred me to uh, director part bart pickleman's expected testimony however the committee gaveled out before pickleman testified oh Okay, well, I'm going to sound like Dana Carvey here and say that sounds pretty convenient. But uh, is, is there anything else to, to add about this or this is just ongoing? I, I noticed that just before we came into the studio to record this podcast, there was a uh, statement from Representative Steve Johnson, who's the chairperson of the House Oversight Committee. And I, I don't know if you had seen that yet, but I, I can read his quote unless you'd like to do so. No, go ahead. Okay, this is, this is uh, a quote from a news release from 
the House Oversight Committee's Steve Johnson, who said, Mr. Freed called this a pervasive culture in how Myosha leadership addresses appeals and transparency. I worry what this means and has meant for many small businesses that were accused of violations and don't have tens of thousands of dollars or a legal team at their disposal. If you're a local business owner and you're faced with a $6,000 fine like Port Huron was, a high percentage of business owners are going to say, I'm just going to pay it even if I believe I'm innocent. I'm not going to fight the system or risk additional trouble. Small businesses are incentivized to pay the fine because it is cheaper than fighting the legal fight. This has led to countless innocent businesses being fined. So um, having, having read that, that's the end of that quote. He goes on later in the news release to say, Myosha had no evidence, but instead tried to convict Port Huron on a general feeling. And I'm sorry, every time I, I say that, I just want to sing Boston. But this is as un-American as you can get. Myosha also considered the case closed when they issued the citation instead of letting due process play out through appeals. Fundamentally, there are many concerns with how this went. I am eager to speak with the department at an upcoming hearing to get to the bottom of it so we can have a department that operates with integrity and fairness. So essentially what he's saying is this is not over. No, they they plan to hold another hearing next week at which I believe Pickleman will testify. Okay, so this is an ongoing story. So we can pick this up next week when uh, when we talk again. So let's let's move along. Uh we have a story that you wrote about the Senate passing a bill to cut corporate and personal income tax to 3.9%. And give us a little bit of background on that. Where, where, what are we paying right now? So Michigan currently taxes corporate income at 6% and it taxes Michiganders at a flat 4.25%. Okay. So uh, how does that compare to our adjacent states? Well, if if the House approved the bill and Whitmer signed it into law, then Michigan would be one of the lowest, uh, would have one of the lowest income taxes for the Midwest states. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you to maybe check your, your magic eight ball here. And, and is this something that uh, the, the governor would be inclined to sign into law? Likely not. Uh, Whitmer has said that the the tax break, uh, roughly $2.5 billion, uh, is unsustainable uh, because it would use one-time federal money on reoccurring expenses. Instead, uh, she recommends uh, smaller targeted tax breaks, such as repealing the retirement tax. And Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it seems that um, at least on the east side of Lake Michigan, we're we're pretty high. We're at 4.25% now for personal income tax. And uh, compared to Ohio, which is 3.99%, Indiana, which is 3.2%, and then there's Illinois, as one could predict, that's close to 5%. It's 4.9%. Wisconsin is 7.6%. And Minnesota, and th- this this flummoxed me, is 9.8% and Iowa is 8.5%. So uh, 
It, it seems that when we are flush with all sorts of money, I mean, what, what is the, the budget surplus for, for this year? Uh, it's currently about $6 billion. Whitmer just signed a $1.2 billion uh, bill into law. Okay. So um, having said that, it, it just seems that uh, there, there, there might be some relief because everybody else is getting relief. What about uh, the average Joe and Jane who are, who are paying their taxes? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer aims to uh, boost the Earned Income Tax Act, which would uh, give families a tax break and repeal the retirement tax, which would uh, you know target retirees. But the real question is, what tax relief is there for the rest of Michigan? Right. Well, I, I know that you contacted our friends over at the Mackinac Center and uh, you spoke with Mike Lefebvre and uh, he seemed to think that it was a pretty good idea. Yeah, he he cited research showing that dropping Michigan's personal income tax rate to 3.9% would create about 15,000 new jobs for Michiganders in the first year alone. And uh, those new jobs would also create additional tax revenue. Well, that, that's pretty interesting because um, right now we have a lot of jobs that can't be filled anyway. So I guess it would be argued that uh, anything that would battle inflation that we've been experiencing would be a little bit more important than job creation when we don't have the individuals who can fill those jobs in the first place. Yeah. And I mean, Michigan as a state is battling population loss. In, in 2020, more Michiganders, more people died in Michigan than were born in Michigan. Uh, which is uh, kind of a warning indicator for the economy as a whole. So uh, Michigan definitely needs to attract more people and businesses. Well, this takes us back to a, a battle that's going on within the between the state legislature and, and Governor Whitmer. Uh, the GOP wants to spend billions and the governor would prefer a strategic budget. So tell us a little bit more about that. So Whitmer's proposed 2023 budget is $74.1 billion. Now, broken down roughly, uh, that's about $18 billion for education, $6 billion for infrastructure, and about $1 billion for economic development. Holy cats. And the legislature, it, which is primarily Republican, what, what is, what's their counteroffer? House Appropriations Chair uh, Thomas Albert has said that he's searching for broad tax relief for Michiganders, and he said that while his budget and Whitmer's budget may share similar themes, uh, they will probably differ in the type of tax relief offered. Okay. So what, what's the next step moving forward, Scott? Uh, negotiations uh, between Whitmer and the, the GOP-dominated legislature. Uh, Whitmer, uh, it's unclear if Whitmer will uh, veto this uh, $2.5 billion tax break. It seems possible, um, but we're just going to have to keep keep listening. Okay, well, let's, let's move down the road here just a little bit. And uh, another story that you wrote just yesterday, Wednesday, February 16th, is a lawsuit filed against the Secretary of State 
Jocelyn Benson, saying that she illegally accepted money from Mark Zuckerberg, the, the Facebook, his Facebook fortune to swing the 2020 election. Now, is this just some type of tinfoil hat conspiracy uh, annoyance of a lawsuit or is there actual substance to this? It's a 166 page lawsuit. Uh, there's a good amount of substance to it, uh, but I am also not an attorney. So the the lawsuit uh, filed by the Thomas More Society uh, basically alleges that Zuckerberg's uh, money was spent in Michigan. It was spent primarily on Democratic regions, uh, and in that way, uh, they helped swing the 2020 election. Well, talk a little bit about what what is, and I know a little bit, I have some background on this simply because I've discussed this with uh, Benjamin Yount over at the Center Square in Wisconsin. And uh, we've talked somewhat about how the monies were focused and spread around separate states. How much money in total do you know that uh, Zuckerberg's organization has, has spread around? At least four hundred million dollars through the Center for Technological and Civic Life. Now, is this an organization that's in your book? Yes, actually, um, yeah, it is. And, and and what did you have to say about that there? Oh, I just mentioned it briefly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. The lawsuit says that. Uh, the, the center made 19 payments exceeding $100,000, all to jurisdictions that Biden carried in 2020. Well, that's what they used to call on Perry Mason circumstantial evidence, but it also <laughs> cites an American public media report finding some cities spent little of the money on personal protective equipment. And uh, ostensibly, that's what much of that money was intended for in the first place. Yes. And that report is very interesting because it breaks down allocations of money. Uh, so uh, in, in a lot of a lot of localities, uh, the money did not go. Did, the majority of the money did not go to buying protective equipment for election workers. It went for other purposes, such yeah. as uh, ballot drop boxes, hand sanitizer, premium pay, um, a, a, a range of things. Okay. Well, I mean, hand sanitizer, I, I, I don't have an issue with. I, I think that uh, having clean hands is always a good thing, especially when one votes. And, and, and uh, it's a, a vague joke. But uh, so th- the entire point is basically to uh, reverse some of the initiatives that the Zuckerberg organization put in place during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I think the lawsuit is really trying to figure out if Michigan is okay with funding public elections with private money with, uh, you know, unknown strings attached. The GOP dominated legislature in Michigan passed a bill aiming to ban private money in public elections, but Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed that last year. But uh, mm, go ahead. 11 other Republican states have enacted that into law, though. So they banned the use of private money in public elections. Okay, so um, any word on what the next step is going to be in this kerfuffle? 
No, right now the the filing that I reported on uh, basically was just uh, pushing. It was waiting. It w- it was waiting until discovery was done. So uh, Benson's office was trying to dismiss the lawsuit before discovery was done. So we still have a long way to go. It appears in this lawsuit. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for today for this episode of Michigan in Focus. And thanks a lot, Scott, for all of your your insights. Thank you for having me. You bet. And you can read all the Center Square stories, including Scott's reporting, at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. And you can listen to the Center Square podcast at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square. Scott and I will be back next week.